0: Hi guys, and welcome back to the Mystery and Comedy Old Time Radio Podcast. Please welcome to the show tonight, to chill our spines, the famous actor who appeared in more than 60 movies on the big screen and is a Academy Award winner, Mr. Kirk Douglas. Mr. Kirk Douglas appeared in many movies such as... The the Vikings, Paths of Glory, Lust for Life. But what he is most famously known for is his starring role in the 1960s adventure movie Spartacus. But tonight, Mr. Kirk Douglas comes to the show to appear behind the microphone, which a lot of people may not know that Mr. Kirk Douglas did. He appeared in such roles on many shows such as Suspense, Lux Theater, and many others. Mr. Kirk Douglas also has three, no, actually four sons, and all four of his sons have gone to become famous producers writers directors and actors his firstborn son which he is well known to this day is mr michael douglas famous actor and producer of many great all four of his sons followed and carried their father's legacy with them every day. Mr. Kirk Douglas enjoyed his filming career until retiring in 2015. He enjoyed his retirement with his wife and his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren until passing away last February. At the age of 103 but tonight we bring mr. Kirk Douglas to the show to chill our spines in this first episode he plays a young man who has traveled from his home state of New York to a grocery store in California and he is doing this as a favor to a friend He is brand new and barely started at this job, but has caught the glimpse of an attractive young cashier who he later finds out is married to the butcher. And the butcher is a big, broad-shouldered German fellow who does not like anybody to spend time with his wife and it is called the butcher's wife and in the second episode mr. Kirk Douglas plays a man who has traveled all the way to England to get some manuscripts from mr. Edgar Allan Poe so he can be nominated and win an award with Edgar Allan Poe's writings He goes to extraordinary lengths to cover up someone from blackmailing him for it. All the way up to murder. But at the end of it, his crimes catch up with him. And it is called The Story of...
1: 96,000 dealers present Mr. Kirk Douglas in The Butcher's Wife, a suspense play produced and edited by William Spear. Wilcox. i show you there, Wilcox, old man. Reming Chester shotgun as I live, breathe, and batter my brain for bridging boasts about the battery of batteries, the Autolite full Battery, the battery that needs water only three times a year in normal car use. She's sounding off. Oh. Was it not you who defied me to find a camel that could go without water as long as an auto-light stayful battery? Oh, defy you I did, you dubious benderhead. Please, no compliments. I concede your claim regarding ordinary one hump camels, but what about a two-hump camel? Need I say more? Well, you probably mean he can go twice as long without refilling. But Autolite light stayful batteries hold over three times as much liquid reserve above the place as ordinary batteries. Need I say more? So, no. I shall have to
2: find a dromedary
1: with four homes. Even that won't do it, for Autolite Stay-Full batteries need water only three times a year in normal car use. What's more, in recent tests, based on SAE life cycle standards, Autolite safe full batteries gave 70% longer average life than batteries without safe full features. So get wise, get an Autolite safe full battery, because you're always right with Autolite. And now, with the butcher's wife and the performance of Kirk Douglas. Autolite hopes once again to keep you in... It started the first day of the job. I was clerking the liquor department of this supermarket. I hadn't been in Los Angeles a week. My brother, when I left New York, had given me this letter to a friend of his, a guy who owned a string of these markets... The letter was about could he use me as a good fellow, counter failure, you know. The guy had this opening liquor clip, and comes the following Monday. I'm at work. I spent the morning loading the refrigerators with beers, soda water, all that stuff. Why can the place? You know, back east, we don't have these supermarkets. There was a the vegetable department run by a nice little dark guy. There was a the delicate person. That was run by an old geezer and his prowl. There was a bakery department, a meat department, and of course, the groceries. No clerks. You pushed a little cart around and helped yourself. To get out, you passed the cash register, and the girl loaded your stuff and rang up the price. My uh, surveillance of the place had reached the girl who checked the groceries when the trouble started. She was looking at herself in a little mirror and putting on some lipstick. Her back was to me. I see her stop putting on the lipstick, but still looking at the mirror. I see her eyes in the mirror. And then she turns around very slowly and looks at me. Just looks at me. She must have been 50 feet away from me, and the customers between But it was like we were all alone, the two of us on a beach somewhere, an empty beach. I should have looked away. I should have winked and forgotten I should have gone on stacking beer and thinking about how to be a success. That's what I should have done. What I did do was I stood right there and locked eyes with her for I don't know how long. And all the time I was looking at her, I was sending her mental telegrams. You and me, baby. You and me. Hey. Hey, you. Hey. You and me, baby. Hey, what's the matter? Sleep on your feet? Oh, what'd you say? Now, you're the new guy, huh? Yeah, I, I just started this morning. Uh, I'm Nick Arno. I work the vegetable. Oh, Harry Carr. Pleased to know you. Yeah. You got two bottles of cold beer? Oh, sure. Cold as a witch's heart. I'm
3: mean, going over
1: here by the counter. You know, it's the law. Yeah, sure. I have them out back with my lunch. Well, oh, well, uh, uh, uh I'm Nick. What? Uh, the uh, the gal over there by the cash register. Huh? Mary? Is that her name? Mary? Yeah. What about it? Well, that's what I'm wondering. What about her? Oh. No soap. She's married. Oh, you're kidding. See that big guy over there with the knife? The butcher? Yeah. Ask him if I'm kidding. Well, who's he? A husband. Oh. See ya. I looked over at him. <laughs> He's a funny-looking guy. A real creep. He stood there stropping a tremendous big cleaver whistling to himself. He had on you know, one of those hard straw hats and a white apron. He had those rimless glasses with thick lenses so that his eyes looked like baseballs. When he saw I was looking at him he nodded and went on whistling and stropping. A real creep. Later on I watched him softening up some sort of space. He had a big steel knaller with points out and he was whacking away at this meat like a pile driver. I watched him grinding and Slicing, quartering, sawing the bones off some of the cups, and always those eyes like baseballs, and that teeny little mouth lost in the big red face, whistling. And I looked over at her, and she is giving me the eye again. We closed at seven. The festival guys carted out the old stuff, delicatessen man put away his pickles. I checked the register, counted my slips, made my entry. Krause the butcher was still there packing and cleaning, putting stuff in that big refrigerator room back of the counter, but she'd left. I got to my street coat and walked out. Hello? She was standing, looking at the shoe display a couple of doors down from the market.
3: I said hello. Don't you say hello or where did you come from? Sure. Hello. Taking the bus? Yeah. Which way do you go?
1: Down to Wester.
3: I'm going that way, I'll drive
1: you. Uh no, no, I uh, I don't think you better. What's the matter? I, I wouldn't want to trouble you.
3: No trouble. Well, well uh, Come on. I'm parked right here. Yeah, right? but what
1: about uh Mr Kraut?
3: He'll be there now, yes. He takes the best. Oh. Come on. Come on. Don't be afraid. I'm not afraid. You're afraid of me. Come on. Get in. So all they own, I'm pushing liquid at them. Now they're pushing
1: it at me. Oh, you're cute.
3: I mean, it's really cute. Ah, So are
1: you, baby. You're anything,
3: sir? Sure, baby. Hey, let's get out of here. Go someplace else. Hey, hey, wait wait a minute. I got to work in the morning. Hey, joy, this is the morning. It is. Hey. Hey, Max, what's the time? Who's uh, no that Harry. Harry, you really think I'm patient? Oh, sure,
1: baby. Look, but it's late. Really.
3: Don't worry, Look, come on. I'll take you home. No, no. I'll take you home. Oh,
1: that was you the next morning. I'm not much of a drinker. She looked fresh as a daisy, smiling and joking with the customers. I didn't look over there. I didn't want to. I didn't want to think about what she must have gone on between her and Krause when she got in. He didn't look happy. I knew why. I kept waiting for him to turn those baseball eyes on me. He never did. Just went on, smashing, slicing, grinding, sawing, all that. When I came out that night, he was there trying to disregard Mary.
4: it.
1: Harry. But... She said she had something very serious to talk over. Yeah. The way she said it, I got in the car again. Wow, oh, you're awful, Harry. Really, you yeah. don't know. Yeah, I get it. You, know, you oh. just wouldn't
3: go Yes. Look, Mary, He's I... He's crazy, jealous. Uh, of you? Isn't <laughs> that drooling. Well, I guess it's... A... Jealous for me. Or should I say of you? Me? Hmm. What's he know about me? Well, I got him this morning and there he was sitting up like grandma in his basement. He says, where you been? I said, what's it for you, Addie? <laughs> I called him Addie, who drives him crazy. Look, Mary... Well, he I... said, don't think you can fool me, and... He's died a crime and saying a lot of things about Babylon and then sitting on the waters. Crazy thought. Yeah, I, I better go. Man. Oh, I, I don't... Harry, don't you say. He doesn't know who
1: you are,
3: who it is. Yeah, but he
1: could find out.
3: No, unless I told him. Oh,
1: look, you, you wouldn't do that.
3: Oh, of course sure not, baby. long
4: as
3: You're good to me.
1: Night I stayed in the market. I was scared. I didn't want any more of that stuff. I did inventory, counted bottles, cleaned the refrigerator, changed the water in the soft drink cooler. I kept busy. Across the market, Krause was moving around, cleaning up. After a while he took off his apron and his straw hat, and he came over. Uh, Hello, Mr. Krause. Uh, give me a bottle of beer. Sure thing. drink it, dear? Sure. We're closed on. Yeah. Oh, here. Oh, here. Here's an opener. Thanks. Uh, you're working late, huh? Well, you know how it is. Nothing to do evening. No? Nah. I- I'm new out here. Takes time to make friends. Yeah. For me, maybe it would take time. Not for a good-looking young fellow like yourself. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> You're a big, broad-shouldered guy. Yeah, sure, uh, big. That's me. Uh, how's the beer? It's uh, all right. right. Listen, you know my wife? Uh, your wife? Yeah, you know her? She, uh, who, Oh, isn't she the one who checks the groceries? Yeah. Oh, very nice-looking lady. You think so? Well, of course, I... Don't get me wrong. I I mean it very sincerely. A very nice, respectful... Yeah, sure. Listen, have you noticed anything funny going on there? Funny? Somebody's playing around with her. And I want to to find out who... With her? You wouldn't think it now, would you? No, I, I should say not. I don't know who it is, but... Listen, haven't you noticed anything? I mean, uh, some guy who shoots the breezes or something like that. Well, no, uh, no. And uh, uh, will you do me a favor? Sure. What? Keep your eyes open. Oh, I will, Mr. Cross. I promise you. Uh, uh, I'll find the guy. I'll find out who he is if it takes a year. when I do I'll kill him. Good night, Good night. Autolite is bringing you Kirk Douglas in The Butcher's Wife. Tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills The Spend. you're keeping me in suspense. Ah, no, but not for long, Remingchester, old man. I'll tell you here and now, you just can't find anything. Man beast, or battery. To beat the liquid reserve of a genuine Autolite safe, old battery. That's a powerful statement, we'll call. That's a powerful battery, Remingchester. Needs water only three times a year in normal car use. Extraordinary. Well, I must be on my way. If I'm to find a more capacious camel... After all, life
2: is yours.
1: Not the life of the Autolite Stay battery. With fiberglass retaining mats at every positive plate, Autolite Stay batteries give 70% longer average life than batteries without the Stay Full features. That's based on recent tests conducted according to FAE life cycle standards. See your Autolite dealer soon, friends, because you're always right with Autolite. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood Town stage our star, Chris Douglas in The Butcher's Wife, a tale well-calculated to keep you in suspense. See how it happens? You go along minding your own business, trying to be a sweet guy and a whammy. Up pops the devil. The roof caves in and there you The executioner's honing the axe and whistling to himself. I you, I was nervous. My hands were sweating and my teeth were aching and... Well, if it hadn't been for meeting the job bad, I'd have put on my coat and hightailed it out of there but fast. That was a situation. And Mary's looking over at me every now and then, giving me the big eyes. Yeah, the heck with you, baby. Get yourself another boy. And Krause is looking over, raising his eyebrows, so I know who it is yet. And I'm making a long face and shaking my head. Then, Nick, but that's the vegetable man comes over. I see you didn't understand what I told you the other day. What? What's that, Nick? About Mary. I told you she was a married woman. Oh, what are
3: you talking about? I
1: I... see you. The both of you coming out of a bar other morning. You're nuts, Nick. Don't pull the hard face with me, Harry. What? I <laughs> ought to tip Grouse off to so what's going on. Nick. Nick. Be a good guy, will you? Be a good guy, will you? I'm telling you, you better be a good guy. And leave the butcher's wife alone if you know what's good for you. Yes, I will, Nick. I will, I swear it. It was a mistake, that's all. Yeah. I'll be a good guy, Nick. Forget about it.
3: That's it. All right. Just once, okay. But do it again and you'll get what's coming to you. Sure, Nick. And I'm not just Sure. Told... Hey. What? Blow,
1: will you? Blow.
3: Larry, I wish you wouldn't treat me this but way. Blow, get away. Yes, get at me, Harry. Don't you know your husband? Ah, you? He's got his glasses off. He couldn't see Hollywood bowl. You better be nice to me, please, Harry. Please, Mary, please go back to your castle. I want to see you tonight. No. Oh,
1: yes. Look, understand me, Mary. You're pointing now. Get away. You'll
3: see me, Harry, or you'll see Krause. All right. Where? I'll be Around the corner. Around the corner. Don't be late. Oh, Harry. Hey. Stop being silly. Come on, get in Look, please, can't you understand? I don't want any problems. What are you so afraid of? Problem. Oh, come on, baby. Let's go and have a huh? got... What's the matter?
1: Oh. Hello, Nick. I warn you. Listen, you've got it wrong, Oh, man. no.
3: What is all this? No, shut up. Don't you talk to me like that. I talk to you like I please, Kate. Harry. Hit him, Harry. I didn't hit him. He
1: was looking down his nose at me, and he was a nice, wide-open target, but I didn't hit him, because all of a sudden, I knew what I had to do, and I knew I had to do it fast. Harry. Hey, where are
3: you going, baby? I
1: didn't turn. Nick was still back to beside the car. I went into the market. Mr. Krause. Mr. Krauss? Yeah. I uh, uh I what I found out. What I can't hear you. I said I found out. I found out who it is. Who? Nick. Nick. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> A vegetable man. I knew yesterday, but I didn't want to get him in trouble. I told him to lay off, but he said nothing. He said if I opened my mouth, he'd tell you it was me that I was the a one. Vegetable man. Uh, I'm sorry, Mister. I never did like him. I never did like. Him. Well, uh. Good night. Good night. I took a bottle of brandy home with me. No dinner. I just laid there on the bed about three hours, talking to myself. Finally, the heck was the job. I got up, started the pack. I was broke, but I didn't care. I'd have to skip out of my rent, but it didn't matter. I didn't care. I wanted out from Krause, from Mary, from Nick, and suddenly I, I figured that even if Nick was a snooping little rat with his holier than now, I, I ought to clear him. So I wrote a note to Krause. I said, uh, I did it, Krause. Don't blame anybody
4: else.
1: I took the note in my bag and proceeded to the market. I tiptoed out of the rooming house. I caught a bus and went to the market. The boulevard was deserted. I looked through the glass door. In the back of the place, up high, there was a red neon beer sign that blinked on and off, on and off. I unlocked the door, went in, and locked the door behind me. The place was kind of eerie in the dark. What that red light blinking on and off? And one minute the place was thick black, and the next was a thousand little red lights bouncing off the canned stuff in the grocery spot. I went to the butcher counter first. I laid the note on the scale where you'd be sure to see it. Then I crossed over past the vegetables and the bakery, past the delicatessen, to the living department. It was dark, and I kept bumping into things. And I thought, well, why am I acting like a criminal? So I turned on the light. The was suddenly so dazzling it hurt my eyes. I looked at the cast. I was just thinking, oh, maybe i would take a couple of bucks. When it happened? I hadn't touched it. Well, there were other in the place. But I didn't know where. After the brightness, the place seemed twice as dark. The red sun blinked down and off, on and off. Then I saw it down he was standing behind me, Thomas, column of the chair. and he picked up the knife and, and, and he at it. But I couldn't see his eyes to surprised it. And every time the light blinked they shone red. Right red like some sort of a terrible toy. And he began to move. And it was like a movie that you see one frame at a time. Each time the light blinked out he wasn't where he'd been before. But closer. Closer. Krauss! Mr. Krauss. Mr. Kraus, this glass glasses kept coming at me. I edged over toward the I and he moved too. I moved the other way toward the grocery. There was a railing. I climbed over. I was in one of the long narrow aisles of cans and bottles. The stuff was fired head high. I waited, hoping maybe he didn't see me, but he did. Behind a stack of canned dog food. He found 30 or 40 feet away. I waited. I looked around the corner. He was looking down another aisle. I got my head back. Couldn't understand that sound. I looked again. The aisle was empty, but in the center where Krause had stood were his shoes. Taking taken them off. They're quiet. It took mine off. And I began to just through away from where I seemed. And then I rounded a the corner Tell you There he was, He's about two feet away with his back to me. And I lost my balance. I put my hand up the him. The whole stack of cans went over. I ran. I kept running, and I was. I was at the end of an aisle, and there was the wall, the back wall. And I turned, and he was coming, coming straight at me. My hand touched something cold, a bottle. I grabbed it. It was ammonia. Frog, get back. Get back, Frogs. I'll frog, blind you. cross
3: I warn you. I swear I will. He stood there like a
1: crazy jump. That cyclops staring at his eyes, the ammonia running down his face. I didn't wait. I ran past him, bumping him aside, ran and ran, and cut around the tax button. The tax bell was attaching the bakery to the, the door. The lock. The key. Well, I'd left it in the lock. It was gone. I tried to break the key with my fist. But it was like steel. Well, I couldn't pick it. I'd left my shoes behind. And Krause kept coming, feeling his way along, moaning. In the blazing light, I could see he still had the knife in his hand. I stood behind the counter of the meat department, on my feet, the soldier. I bent scooped up a handful. Uh, His face was awful. Twisted and gleamed. His glasses were gone and his eyes were screwed tight shut in pain. He stopped ten feet away, swayed. Then he opened his eyes. Opened them as wide as he could and moved his head from side to side, trying near-sightedly to see. Then his head stopped moving. And holding it sideways, using one eye to see and he came on, the knife fell way back. I waited. <laughs> I tried with the sawdust, he jumped to one side, my back up against the block, and he twisted and skidded in the sawdust, and he fell. He was very still for a moment. I waited. He rose to his knees. In the blinking light, I saw the knife. He'd fallen on it. It stuck out of the middle of his chest. <laughs> He got to his feet. One hand over the place where the knife was. And started talking again. There was a rack over the chopping block. He reached up and got a cleaver. I backed up. Behind me I felt a large cold handle. The door to the meat storage room. I seized it open. My
3: <laughs> night
1: was cold. very cold. And dark. In front of the door was one small thick in the glass. It was clouded. I wiped the clay with my hand and looked out. Krause stood there. His face and face were mine, looking in. And then his eyes rolled back and his face went flat and fell out of sight. He was dead. I was sure of it. I, I felt around in the dark for the knob, but I couldn't find it. I felt the door from top to bottom. There were bars and bolts and. Something that felt like a handle. I hanged and tugged, it, but it wouldn't move. But there was a knife on the slab a butcher I tossed around the door for a crack. slipped the knife in, and, and twist twisted mm-hmm. Broke off. Another door, I thought. Maybe this. Oh, please. Another door out of this place. I began to search for it in the dark, feeding along the icy, damp walls. I walked into something cold that moved when I touched it. Oh, the sight of beef. But no door. I moved farther. Not an icy cold thing. And I moved down and came up against another... Cold is the rest, but... And I'm crazy. I'm crazy. This one... This one feels as though it's wearing silk
3: stockings.
1: (laughs) So here I am. It's awfully cold. Cold as a wicked heart. Cold as a tomb. This thing I have in my hand—it's knife handle. I wish it had a blade. I know what I do. I know, but it has. Anyway. Well, I'm innocent of anything. You'll believe me. They were. There's a letter outside on the table It says, I did it cross. Don't blame anybody else. And there's my suitcase. Well, that'll prove I meant to go away and not cause
3: anybody a hard time. And this, oh. oh, time goes slow. And while I'm waiting,
1: and waiting, and waiting, I'll tell myself the whole story again. And again, it, it'll give me something to do, you know. Something to think about. You see, it started the first day of the job. I was clerking the liquor department at the supermarket. I hadn't been in Los Angeles for a week. My brother, when I left New York, had given me the time to apprenticeship. You know, a guy owned a thing in these supermarket. The liquor was about like, oh, could have use me. I was a good fellow. He's calling the fame, you know. The guy was just opening the liquor to us. It was the first day i had come to Los Angeles. You know, a short time Presented by Autolite. Tonight's star, Kirk Douglas. Reming Chester. George. Hey, you gave me a sword. Oh, no, I didn't, Reming Chester, old man. It must have been your new Autolite Stay Full Battery, the battery that needs water only three times a year in normal car use. Just the thing for starting right. And remember, it's just one of more than 400 products made by Autolite for cars, trucks, planes, and boats in 28 plants, coast to coast. These include complete electrical systems for many makes of America's finest cars. Batteries, spark plugs, generators, coils, distributors, starting motors, and Autolite bullseye Field beam headlights. All engineers to fit together perfectly work together perfectly because they're a perfect team. So don't accept electrical parts supposed to be as good. Ask for and insist on Autolite original factory parts at your neighborhood service station, car dealer, garage, or repair shop. Remember, you're always right with Autolite. Next Thursday for Suspense, Marlena Dietrich will be our star. The play is called Murder Strikes Three Times. And it is, as we say, a tale well calculated to kiss you in. Up. Uh-huh. Tonight's Suspense play was produced and edited by William Spear and directed by Norman MacDonald. Music for Suspense is composed by Lucian awake and conducted by Lud Gluskin. The Butcher's Wife is an original play for radio by James Cole. Kirk Douglas whose thrilling performance in champion has placed him among the Academy Award contenders, will soon be seen in Young Man with a Horn.
3: You can buy Autolite faithful batteries, Autolite regular or resistive soft plugs, Autolite electrical parts at your neighborhood Autolite dealer. Switch through Autolite. Good night. This
1: is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
5: Suspense. Suspense brings you Mr. Kirk Douglas as star,
2: but first a
5: brief message from your
2: announcer. In America's finest hotels and restaurants, wherever hospitality is the last word in luxury, the first name in wines is C-R-E-S-T-A, B-L-A-N-C-A, Cresta, Blanca, When you proudly pour Cresta Blanca, California Burgundy, or sautern, you pay guests the most gracious compliment possible. For Cresta Blanca wines, from the finest of the vines, distinguish America's finest tables. That's why when you serve Cresta Blanca wines, you and your friends enjoy the best. Shenley's Cresta Blanca Wine Company, Livermore, California. And now, Shenley brings you... Radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Suspense. Presented by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A. Roma Wines of Fresno, California. Tonight starring Mr. Kirk Douglas. In the story of Markham's
5: death, a suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Shenley by William Spear. (laughs) Say, Phil Martin's run dry? Well, I didn't make it up. My wife got it for
2: man. Hasn't written a word in six years. Yes, and I got it from Peterson, his publisher. They dropped him from their spring list. Well, bye-bye, deed of American mystery writers. I'm glad to see him go.
5: Phil Martin. I thought that guy'd write from the grave. I don't understand it. I guess it happens to the best of us. Hope he saved his money, but I suspect he hasn't. Phil Martin run dry. I don't get it. I don't get it.
6: No, I didn't get it either. Unless you border on that fringe of abnormality which marks you as a writer, you can't possibly understand the complete futility you feel when your talent is suddenly turned off like a water spout. I spent as much time staring at the blank paper in my typewriter as I ordinarily spent in writing an entire novel. Oh, Anne could sympathize with me because she loved me. But I didn't need Anne's stupid sympathy.
7: Darling, I'm sure it's only temporary.
6: Temporary? Anne. I can't even write a decent ten-word telegram. Well, it's no use, Anne. I'm afraid I'm through. Oh,
7: no, you can't be. Not anyone as great as you. Though maybe you've done too much. Darling, maybe a rest. Why why don't you rest for a few months?
6: I've been resting.
7: Well, I, I mean, get away.
6: Yes, that's my last chance, dear. I'm going to do just that. I'm going abroad.
7: Abroad? Oh, honey, when are we going?
6: We aren't going. I am.
7: Hi. You're... Philly, is this a way of letting... I mean...
6: Oh, don't worry, dear. I'm not running out on you. I'll just be gone for a few months.
7: Oh. Oh, well, just a few months. Yes,
6: alone. And I told you when I first met you. I'm a complex person. I'm difficult to understand.
7: Yes, yes, dear. I know that. I, But I thought I understood
6: you. Well, you can't. Nobody can
7: But I love you, Phil.
6: And I love you, Anne. but that doesn't change matters. I'm going to England for a few months by myself. You don't have a thing to worry about. You keep your apartment and wait for me. The rent's paid through the first of the year. I'll be back before that. Anne Fleming was the beautiful, not overly intelligent type of girl I've associated with since my divorce. Her only family was a half-brother, a petty hoodlum whose habit of always wearing gloves won him the imposing nickname of Kid Gloves. That hadn't helped when he ran his car into a storefront, killing two people just a block from where he'd held up a tavern. Kid Gloves had gone to jail three months before I met Anne to serve 40 years for manslaughter and robbery. <laughs> a very corny plot, the whole thing, including Ann. As I roamed around London, I thought maybe a visit in this city of great mystery tradition would be my answer. And it was. The second day, while wandering around aimlessly in the bombed-out and still unrepaired section of Bloomsbury, I stumbled onto my last inspiration quite by accident. Oh, say, uh, when was all this hit?
7: Oh, right at the start of the war, sir.
6: Oh, then this isn't
8: V-bomb damage. No, now, doesn't it. As a matter of fact, the old house across the street had it the first time Jerry come over. Uh-huh. I'd almost say it was the first house to be hit in the war. Oh,
6: well, did it take only one bomb to level it like that?
8: Well, how many do you think it takes? I've cleaned it up a bit now. Old house, that too. Built back in 1750. Mm, really? Yeah, pretty well known. Lots of yanks made their digs there. Before the war, that is. Uh, a Yankee writer stayed there once when he was here. Uh, what was his name, Jackie?
7: Oh, E.P. Poe. No, Poe, Poe. Oh, that's,
6: that's Poe? So you don't mean Edgar Allan Poe, do you? That's him, that's him. What? Edgar Allan Poe once stayed in that house?
7: That's right. American writer. Acquaintance of yours?
6: Well, well, hardly a contemporary. What? Oh, oh nothing. Nothing.
7: My little Helbert was playing in the rubble there Tuesday last and dug out a box of junk. Maybe some of it was Mr. Poe's. Like to see it?
6: Why, yes, certainly. Well, it's vaguely possible. I looked through the battered steel box. The woman provided me with a cup of tea as I spread the contents out in front of me. It was thrilling somehow. To think that these dusty things perhaps had once belonged to the man who had invented the detective story more than a hundred years ago. As she went out and I replaced the trinkets, I snagged the faded, musty, gray satin lining of the box and accidentally tore it. Trying to get it back together, I only ripped it further. I put my hand under the lining to straighten it, and something fell out. It was a waterproof packet containing three yellowed sheets of paper written in a small, fine hand. At the bottom of the third page was the name Edgar Allan Poe. I slipped the packet into my pocket and returned the box.
7: Oh, uh, find anything?
6: Oh, 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 no, just as you said, a lot of worthless trinkets. Oh, uh, by the way, I, I ripped the lining as I was putting everything back. Oh. that's all right. Oh, no, I'd like to give you something for your trouble and for my clumsy damage. Uh, Here. And thank you so much.
7: Five quid? Oh, I say, five quid. But the old thing probably ain't worth a threepenny bit.
6: Well, your time, your trouble, and your courtesy are, though. Thank you very much.
7: But five quid? Oh, I say...
6: Original Edgar Allan Poe manuscript. It was a short story written by Poe during his brief stay in England many years before his rise and subsequent fall. As I read and reread the manuscript, I realized that it was an experiment in a completely new mystery technique. Here, in effect, was what Poultry had never discovered in his thesis on the existence of only thirty-two basic dramatic situations. Suddenly I realized I was the only one who knew this story and that I could put it to better use than as a museum piece. Why, here indeed was the thirty-third situation. Why, in my hands it could blossom forth as a novel, a film, a radio play. I was about to be reborn, and literary immortality was at my fingertips. I began writing in London and all the way back home. It took me six months to complete my work, and then, with everything finished, I burned the original Poe composition and sent the novel off to the publisher. Then I called Anne.
7: A big success, darling.
6: Big success. Well, I've never been as confident of anything in my life. Oh,
7: that's wonderful. They said you were
6: through. <laughs> I told you, a rest was all I needed, a change of scenery.
7: I'm proud of you, Phil. I'm so proud. I'm glad. You. Maybe now you, now Phil, maybe maybe you'll think differently about
6: things. I'm so glad.
7: Phil, you, know, you aren't even listening to
6: me. Huh? Oh, oh, I, I'm sorry, dear. Oh, look, look, Anne. I am going to be pretty busy for the next few weeks. Now I won't be able to see you very often.
7: Oh, I should think you'd have time now. That the... well,
6: I haven't, but we'll see. You
7: we have a date tonight.
6: Well, I'm going to the mystery writers' banquet tonight. And tomorrow. Well, well, okay. But I'll come over for you at eight o'clock. And for once, will you try to be ready on time? Every year on the anniversary of Edgar Allan Poe's birth, the Mystery Writers of America hold a banquet similar to the Academy Award Banquet. Instead of awarding Oscars, they give Edgars for the outstanding works of the year. All of a sudden, everybody was looking at me.
5: Now I have a special Edgar to give. This special award goes to the first writer to discover a new and startling different approach to the mystery story... Since the death of our patron saint, the great Edgar Allan Poe himself. Philip Martin, for your novel, Markham's Death.
6: Yes, a special Edgar for an idea plagiarized from Edgar Allan Poe. The end had justified the means and I knew that the original manuscript was now only ashes. I was the only one who had ever seen it. I was completely happy and enjoying my victory after the banquet in the quiet of my own home.
8: Mr. Martin? Yes, speaking. This is Dr. Selgrove. Uh,
6: Dr. Selgrove?
8: Yes, I'm head of the Academy of American Letters. I want to congratulate you, Mr. Martin. I was at the banquet tonight.
6: Oh, well, thank you, sir.
8: Uh, well, yes, indeed. I, I've been uh, collecting data on Edward Allan Poe all my life. Uh, your work was in the finest traditions of Poe.
6: Well, that is the supreme compliment, Doctor. Uh,
8: Mr. Martin, what did you find behind the lining in that steel box in London? What? It was you, wasn't it?
6: Well, I don't know what you're talking about.
8: Yes, in the truest Poe tradition. So much so that I have reason to believe your idea was once Poe's.
6: Now, look, Doctor, I, I oh. hope you haven't spread this misinformation around. Why, you're wrong, of course, but... Well, even the faintest suggestion could do me irreparable harm.
8: If you mean, have I been discreet, sir? I have, until now.
6: Well, look, how do you want me to disprove this ridiculous accusation?
8: I'm at the Academy every day. I'll be there tomorrow night until 9.30. The door's close at 8, but I'll wait for
6: you. That will be fine, Doctor. I'll be there around 9.00. And as I set the receiver back on the hook... I wondered just how much he actually knew and what I would have to do to silence him.
5: For suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you Mr. Kirk Douglas in the story of Markham's death. Roma Wines' presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense.
2: Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, is presented by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines, from the world's greatest reserves of fine wines. Now that autumn is here, you'll be spending more evenings at home, reading, listening to the radio, or entertaining friends. Now, here's an easy, delightful way to make the most of these pleasant hours. Simply serve delicious Roma, California wines. Such as glorious Roma Sherry, with its nut-like taste. Ruby Red Roma Port, or Mellow Roma Muscatel. Yes, you'll find that Roma Wines really help an evening along. That's because Roma Wines taste better. They have a full, rich body and fragrant bouquet you can find only in a fine wine. Tomorrow, give your family and friends a real surprise. Treat them to better-tasting Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines, America's largest selling wines. And now Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Kirk
5: Douglas as Philip Martin in the story of Markham's Death, a play well calculated to keep you in suspense.
6: lock on the wall seemed drugged. They moved so slowly that day. My appointment with Dr. Selgrove was for 9 p.m. I was to be at Anne's at 8. I figured about 20 minutes would wipe that slate clean.
7: Hello, honey. I'll be ready in a minute.
6: I said I'd be here at 8.
7: Oh, dear. Isn't 8 already, is it?
6: Yes, it's after 8.
7: Oh, I thought it was only about 7.30. I'll hurry. Well,
6: there's no reason.
7: Are we going out?
6: No, Anne. we're not going out. As a matter of fact, we're never going out again. What? I'm sorry, Anne. This is the last time we'll see each other.
7: But, but I, I, I but Phil, I, I, I've, I've told everyone that... well, What have
6: you told everyone?
7: But th- that we were going to be married.
6: What, you shouldn't have. Did I ever say I'd marry you? No, I was married once and it doesn't work for me.
7: This would be different. Oh, would
6: it? I don't think so. You see, Anne, you're taking up too much of my time. But
7: I wouldn't get in the way, Phil. You know you're that. You're also I...
6: taking up too much of my thoughts. I probably hit that bad slump a few months ago because of you. Phil. Oh, it wasn't your fault. It was mine for not realizing it.
7: Phil, you, you, you really mean oh, that. Oh, now look. <laughs> <sighs> what about me? What about me? What am I going to do?
6: You'll get over it. Here. This should help.
7: What's that? Take it. Just
6: what you like. A roll of nice, clean, new $50 bill. Hmm. Feel better now?
7: You think you can buy everything with money, don't you? Well, you can't. And stop drumming with that letter opener. Oh,
6: sorry, I didn't realize.
7: <laughs>
6: well, that takes care of everything, doesn't it? We're still friends?
7: No. No, we'll never be friends. Bill Martin, you're rotten. You're rotten, and you're conceited, and you're, you're everything I ever... I hate you!
6: I said I don't like scenes. <laughs> Goodbye, Aunt. Get
7: out of here!
4: Get out!
6: As I left her apartment, I paused to look at my watch. It was 8.30. I noticed a man fade back into the darkness of the doorway, but... Outside of the fact that he looked vaguely familiar, I thought nothing more of it. I felt as though a weight had been lifted from my shoulders, at least from one shoulder. And I was on my way to lift the weight from the other one. The Academy of American Letters was just a short distance from man's apartment. Mr. Martin? Yes. I take it you're Dr. Selgrove. That's
8: right. Uh, sit down, Mr. Martin.
6: I'll stand, thank you. You were at the banquet last night. I remember seeing you.
8: And when I saw you, I knew my search was over. You fit the description just like the missing piece in a jigsaw puzzle. I knew you were the man Mrs. Carruthers described. Well, who is Mrs. Carruthers? The woman who gave you the steel box. The box which must have contained the Edgar Allan Poe manuscript you so skillfully rewrote. Preposterous. You deny that you were in London? No. but Or that you found the box and examined it? Well, well no, but uh, I, Mr. I... Martin, a poverty-stricken woman like Mrs. Carruthers couldn't forget a man who gave her five pounds. She could forget seeing him slip a packet into his pocket. That is, until someone came along and gave her ten pounds to refresh her memory.
6: <laughs> For ten pounds, she probably dreamed up the whole story. Look. You say you know something of Poe. Then you know that the time he spent in London was long before his prominence as an author. Why, for all we know, he didn't write a line during his entire stay there.
8: Mr. Martin, I've devoted my life to gathering information about Edgar Allan Poe. It's my hobby as well as my job. I've been looking for one missing manuscript for a long time. A manuscript whose existence I learned of by quite by chance.
6: What are you talking about? Uh,
8: This letter which Edgar Allan Poe wrote to a cousin in Boston during his London visit fine piece, isn't it? Well, what about it? Well, let me read it to you. He says, my new theory for a tale of murder is a form of induction as opposed to deduction. I refer to it as Markhamism after the title character. My first draft manuscript is stored behind a satin curtain built of steel to age and mellow until such a time as I may produce it without being termed mad. I see. Dear me, you were overconfident, Martin, calling your novel Markham's death. Not only didn't you change the process, you didn't even alter the name. And
6: if I should admit to all this,
8: what would be your price? <laughs> now, Mr. Martin, money is of no consequence. I'm a student, a collector of American letters. All I want from you is the manuscript.
6: Impossible.
8: In return for my everlasting silence. Possessing of the manuscript is payment enough. I have no desire to ruin you. Unless, of course, it should become necessary for me to do so. Um,
6: How would I know you wouldn't show it? Certainly you don't question my word. The manuscript has been destroyed. Don't expect me to believe that. It's the truth. I burned it.
8: Well, if you want to be difficult, I won't agree with you, Mr. uh, Martin. Uh, Pity you won't cooperate. I'll just put this letter back in the safe, and then tomorrow we'll uh, we'll see. (laughs)
6: Fled with the return of cold logic. Dr. Selgrove was unquestionably dead. I had to act quickly because speed was essential. I knew that from what I myself had often written. I took the letter and pocketed it to be burned later in the privacy of my own home. There would be no suspicious ashes for the police to sift. The bookend was the only thing I touched. I carefully filled the wash basin with hot water and dropped the bookend into it, smearing and obliterating any fingerprints. Now, I had to work backwards. The average murderer establishes his alibi first, but in my case, I had to establish it behind me and cover my time. Most people are careless about exact times and and can be off many minutes, especially in their recollection. Have you ever looked at your watch? Then had someone asked you the time only to find that you had to look again? <laughs> yes, Anne would work as my alibi. I couldn't confide in her, but she was careless about time. But what of the man I'd seen in her hall at 8.30? Suddenly I knew. It was Anne's brother, Kid Gloves Fleming. Now that I thought about it, I knew I recognized him from his pictures. He'd obviously escaped from prison and had gone to Anne for help. Yes. And would be more than happy to say I'd been with her until a quarter to nine. Unobserved, I hurried back to her apartment house. In front of the building, I hailed a passing taxi and entered at precisely 9-5. Uh, where to, mister? Uh, the Milford Club on 59 Not many taxis in this neighborhood, are there? Were well, you waiting long? In Ten or fifteen minutes. I I wanted to be at the club by nine it's almost that now.
5: Is that all? I thought it was later. Oh, well, I'll get you there fast. Oh, that's all right. There's no hurry. Oh, good evening,
6: Mr. Martin. Oh, good evening, Henry. Well, not many coats being checked tonight, are there? Uh, no, sir. But look at all those hats. Let me see. Hmm. Seems as though I've misplaced my watch. Oh. Uh, have you the time, Henry? Why, sure. It's, uh... 20 minutes after nine. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I seem to be losing everything tonight. Oh, what's wrong? Well, I've dropped my notebook. Oh, I must have dropped it in that taxi. Was it important? Well, just to me, I had some personal notes in there. Oh, look, I wonder, Henry, if you'd call the cab company for me and ask if it's turned in. Oh, sure. Thanks. My name and address are engraved in the cover... As a matter of fact, I even recall the name of the driver. It struck me as unusual. It was Alonzo P. Alonzo. I'll take care of it. Thanks. Oh, and you might add that I'll post a $25 reward. (laughs) Then I went down to see Lieutenant John Kirkland of Homicide. We'd been classmates, and I'd spent many an evening at headquarters discussing our favorite subject, crime. Well, well, well. Hello, hello, Phil. How are you, Johnny? Anything on the docket? Oh, uh,
8: just routine.
6: Uh, mind if I sit in? I want to get my mind off Anne. Anne? Well, what's the matter? Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> you know, Johnny, the usual. I, I wrote Finney to our little romance and well, she wasn't too happy about it. <laughs> Still a dog with the women, eh, kid? <laughs> oh, say. Hmm? Say, this is a coincidence. Remember that wild kid brother of Ann? His kid brother. Oh, oh, you mean the one they call Kid Glove. Well, mm-hmm. I remember reading about him. Why? Well, he broke out of jail late this afternoon. Uh-oh. Say, anne will certainly be worried. Well, she won't have to worry anymore. What? Yeah, they caught him down at the railroad station trying to get out of town. What? Uh, are they bringing him in? Yeah. Stiff. Oh. Yeah, the poor fool decided to shoot it out, and he picked a crack shot like O'Malley to draw on. Oh, uh, well, is O'Malley all right? <laughs> oh, sure, O'Malley's always all right. But the kid's dead. Oh, it's... This is going to be tough on Anne. Even though they didn't get along, he's still their, her brother. Well, she'll get over it. I, well, I guess it's better this way. And that's a funny thing, though. He was still wearing those kid gloves, and he had a roll of new $50 bills that would choke a horse. Now I understood. Anne's brother had visited her just after I left, and she'd given him the money. Well, I was completely relaxed now. The only person who could possibly spoil my perfect story was dead.
8: Oh uh, pardon me, Phil, please. Sure. Hello. Uh, this is Kirkland speaking.
2: Oh, When? I see. Who? Philip Martin?
6: Huh? Why, why, he's right here. I said he's right here. Oh, is it for me? Uh, Just a second, Phil, please. Yeah. Okay. Let me know, I'll send him right out. Hey, what's up, Johnny? I thought that call was for me. No, no, it uh, it wasn't for you, Phil. It, it was about you. Well, about me? Yeah. Where were you this evening? I told you. I had dinner, went over to see Anne, and then met you. Well, weren't you anyplace else, sir? Are you sure? Of course I'm sure. Say, Johnny, what is this, the third degree? Do you remember what time you left Anne's? Ann's? Well, I must have left about a quarter of nine. Yes, I'm sure of that. It was just about nine when I caught my cat. Was anyone with you? Uh, at Anne's? no. We were alone. Couldn't you be mistaken? Couldn't you have been someplace else, maybe at 8.15 or 8.30? No! Why, Phil, why do you play right into my hands? Why do you make it impossible for me to help you? What are you talking about?
8: Murder, Phil. I'm... I'm arresting you. For Murder. Oh.
6: Hours, I'm going to be executed for the murder of Dr. Selgrove. But the police don't know that yet. You see, although I'm innocent of the crime I'm scheduled to die for, I'm powerless to save myself. Yes, I backed out of my own crime successfully, only I set myself squarely in the middle of a worse one. The only way I can save myself is by telling that I was busy killing Dr. Selgrove at the time I'm supposed to have killed Ann Fleming. I know that Ann was killed by her brother, but there's no way of proving it. The letter opener he plunged into her chest still had my fingerprints, slightly smeared by his kid gloves. Robbery was ruled out because nothing was disturbed. Snooping neighbors had heard Ann and me quarrel and had heard her scream around a quarter of nine. They suspected that I had hit her and nothing more. But it placed the time exactly exactly as I had placed myself in her company during that time. (laughs) Well, I see where they dug up another original, hitherto unknown manuscript by Edgar Allan Poe in somebody's closet in Fordham, New York. It's all about a man who builds such a perfect alibi for himself that he gets executed for the wrong murder. Well, I'm glad they only found it today after I had already written the above confession. Otherwise, they'd say I'd been plagiarizing Poe again.
2: suspense. The Story of Markham's Death, starring Kirk Douglas, presented by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines, America's largest selling wines. Yes, Roma Wines are America's largest selling wines. And this is Truman Bradley to tell you the reason. It's because Roma Wines taste better. You see, Roma gathers and presses only the choicest California grapes, Then, with age-old skills and unmatched winemaking resources, Roma master vintners guide this great treasure unhurriedly to peak taste richness. These fine Roma wines are laid aside with mellow Roma wines of years before to await later selection for your enjoyment from the world's greatest reserves of fine wines. This weekend, enjoy the better taste of nut-like Roma sherry, fruity Roma port, or fragrant Roma toque. And always, remember to ask for Roma. That's R-O-M-A. Roma Wines. Enjoyed by more Americans than any other wines.
5: Kirk Douglas may soon be seen in the Hal Wallace production, I Walk Alone. Tonight's suspense play was written by Bob Platt. Next Thursday, same time, you will hear Richard Nay as star of Suspense. Produced and directed by William Spear for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California. In the coming weeks, Suspense will present such stars as Louis Jourdan, June Havoc, Dennis O'Keefe, Marsha Hunt, and others. Make it a point to listen each Thursday to Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: Well, guys, that does it for Mr. Kirk Douglas on the show for this evening. Please join me tomorrow afternoon as I welcome to the show Miss Kathy Lewis and Miss Mercedes McCambridge to the program. And join me tomorrow night as I bring back to the show Miss Murray Wilson and Kathy Lewis in the CBS comedy show my friend, Irma. I want to once again thank everybody who has listened and subscribed to my podcast. I really do appreciate it, guys. I'm now up to 3,000 listeners. I cannot believe it. I want to thank you guys once again. And I will continue to keep you all updated as the days go on. But join me also Saturday as I welcome to the show Mr phil harris and miss alice faye in the phil harris and alice faye show and if you like the podcast please comment and subscribe guys and have a great night yeah. thanks